Hello and welcome to Not Bane Podcast, your weekly rundown of UK politics from a Black millennial view. Every week, join me, Bay, and Corey as we look at Parliament and stories from across the diaspora. Hello, 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 and welcome back to another episode of Not Bane Podcast. This week, we're going to be talking about an explosive PMQs where uh, Boris was dragged from start to finish about Partygate and he sat there looking rather uh, sad and his hair looked even more squiff than usual. We'll be covering um, the Colston trial that was covering the Bristol Four. We'll be talking about uh, the police crime and sentencing bill after it's had its reading in the House of Lords and has been sent back to the Commons. And then we'll be covering sex education in Uganda. So let's go, Corey. Yes, Prime Minister's questions last week was, uh, it was a massacre. It was horrible. You almost felt sorry for him. Not quite, though. Uh, Boris Johnson was clobbered from all sides. Of course, the only topic in town was about the party that he now says he didn't know was a party, but thought was a word <laughs> event. All the questions. So all six questions from Keir Starmer, who's back from COVID isolation. Peppered, 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 peppered. Um, for the first time, he's called for him to actually go. He's called for him to, to step down, called for him to resign. And then he called for the Conservative MPs opposite him to do the right thing. So he he called for it for the first time, but not only him. When it got to Ian Blackford, your fave, fave. leader of the SP <laughs> at Westminster, he also called for him to go. Granted, he's probably done that about 10 times in the last month, but he also jumped in on that. And the very last question of the session was from Ed Davey, the leader of the Liberal Democrats, the now forgotten Liberal Democrats, Sir Ed Davey, also said Boris needed to go. So he got it from all sides. Everybody telling him, get out of here. Time's up. Adios. Au revoir. Bye. <laughs> well done. Showed your uh, yeah. understanding of European languages there. Okay. Yeah, he went. What was also notable anyway, but apart from that, uh, was the notable appearance, uh, notable disappearance of Rishi Sunak. The yes, he was uh, on a trip. Uh, he was on a very special business trip up in, uh, was he in Scotland, I think? No, no, no. Devon or something like that. Cornwall. Oh, was he in Devon? He was far, Devon far away doing something that was extremely... Not that didn't require him to be there at that specific moment in time, and it was not, you know, time sensitive. He could have rescheduled that uh, meeting for the week, the week after or the week before, but he made quite sure that he was not there at Boris's side while he was getting grilled about Partygate, and it was extremely suspicious to say the least. Oh, of course, I'm sure he would say that he had a very busy diary. He, yes, he, he did. He, he had to be, you know, looking to the future of the finances of the nation. Yes, I believe he did say that as well. Securing business and making sure that we can march forward out of this pandemic in good economic health. But at the same time, yeah, he was very missing. He was very much missing in action. And um, obviously that flooded speculation, even more speculation of, of the behind the scenes machinations that are leading potentially to him as the next leader. So we'll make of that what you will. What well, like no, go ahead. No, go no, ahead. just to say, I do just think that, yes, while um, 
people are talking about Boris needs to go and these people are all making it, everyone's sort of doing their little bits of manoeuvring to trying to build their own personal profiles. It's like, I think we as a public deserve, whether I agree with the uh, Tory government or Boris Johnson as a leader or not, we deserve to get a government to full term, for goodness sake. We have not had a government go to full term since Brexit. So can we get a full term government? So is this just is we're just not constantly feel like we're dealing with the fallout from election, somebody trying to make their, their name out of an election. It goes wrong, the fallout from an election. There's a leadership election. There's an ousting of a leadership election in the other party. Drama, drama, drama. Like it's just been a consistent political drama since about 2015, 20. Yes, it's about 2015. It feels like we've been in consistent political drama all over the world and we're also in a global pandemic it is i am tired i'm tired it's been a pandemic i'm tired leave us alone we just can we just get some some normalcy for you know a year because apparently the decision the government's made the decision that we're moving from the out of the pandemic into an endemic situation can we just get a general simple year where we don't have massively increasing inflation where energy bills are not going to be increasing 200 percent just a normal year so everyone can find their footing and then no no we can't and answer to your question is no no let's leave utopia it's not happening it's not even utopia because it's a a tory government i'm not even asking for utopia i'm just asking for a little bit of stillness i feel like my brain is consistently going at 100 miles an hour with every other week there's a new drama there's a new you know there's new whatsapps leaked from this party there's a new um there's i don't even know there's new ah just i can't take it in my head i can't take it well i'm tired i'm tired well, I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but uh, no, uh, we are in for more rides, more, more, more violent rides to come. So that moves me on to the other development out, the other, well, there have been a few developments, but the other big development out of Partygate. So the accusation now from the sudden paragon of honesty, Dominic Cummings, uh, he, he came out on his blog saying that he warned the prime minister that this, about this, so this party that went ahead, which Boris reckons was a work event or thought was a work event at the time, he was warning him. There was a there was a column in the Sunday Times this weekend also claiming from insiders that they multiple people had warned that this part this was indeed a party and therefore was indeed against the COVID lockdown rules, and that the prime minister essentially faffed, faffed away, faffed away, <laughs> waved off those objections and and went forth in full knowledge that this was not an above board event so that what, obviously what party is this one there's this, so been so many parties i so can't this, differentiate so this party this is the may 20th event where boris johnson it was a party because his principal private secretary as this is one we discussed last week his mm. principal private secretary martin reynolds sent an email out to all downing street staff inviting them to uh, essentially yeah. bring their own booze party oh yeah yeah in, the number, 10, in the number 10 garden in may 2020 but uh, wasn't so, dominic at that party no, i remember at that one and that is all and again very conveniently so the the other part the other event which there was more question about the one that we that came out before Christmas, where there's pictures of groups of people in the garden in Downing Street, including Cummings, Boris Johnson, Boris Johnson's now wife. There was wine on the tables. However, it's being claimed that that was a work event. 
that one is a bit more believable. I mean, I don't believe that necessarily. I don't believe that it was above the board, but that one's more believable. So, but mm. we're talking now, we moved on now from that. So Cumming was at that one. Mm-hmm. So, so the one he was at, according to him, above board, but, you know, conveniently the one he wasn't at, this one now that's engulfing the prime minister in scandal, he wasn't at conveniently, and now he's dropping all the tea. So as I said, the latest tea that he dropped, somebody else in the Sunday Times dropped, was that Boris Johnson was informed about it, he was told about it, and that's caused further headache for him this week. Ah, um, yes, this is the party where his comms director was at, in the comms director who is now the the deputy editor of The Sun, who, so that means that he knew about this party, but did not release information that there were lockdown breaking parties while he's been the editor of The Sun. Well, all this now led up to an interview. As we know, the Prime Minister was in isolation because somebody in his family had contracted COVID. Anyway, back of isolation. Even though, just as an aside, even though the rules state that he doesn't actually need to be in isolation, he just needs to be testing every day. Well, now back out of isolation, he gave this interview to Beth Rigby on Sky News. To anticipate uh, or prejudge whatever the inquiry may conclude. Just, just one more thing on this. Some of your MPs that, and, and members of the public think that this is your Barnard Castle moment, that the idea that you walked into the garden, there's 40 people there, the tables are laid out with food and drink and there's alcohol yeah. being served in the middle of a lockdown and you think that's a work event. That is just ludicrous, isn't it? You are just taking the mickey out of the British people by no, suggesting I, well, I, that. I, I, look, I, I, you know how silly that sounds, don't you? I think, I think the key thing there, what everybody else, what, what, what according to a recent poll, 94% of the British public also would agree with, you can't expect us to believe that, can you? And that's the big question here. Uh, but he's sticking to his story. He's sticking to his story that, you know... Uh, well, if you keep telling the same story, eventually people have to believe that you believe uh, it. I, 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 sh- I should have... And what was clear in that interview, something else he said in that interview, he says he, sh- he, says he carries full responsibility, which makes me... Which, which, which causes me to ask the question, OK, well, what does that look like? What does punishment look like? If you're going to carry full responsibility, what's the consequence of that? Anyway, that aside, he said, uh, he said, he said that he should have... Um, he should have known or he should have gone out there, he should have seen and he should have called everyone inside. To me, that's, that's a big admission because what, you're, what he's implying about himself is that he was either, he was just too dunce, too slow to, to use his eyes. He said by his own admission, he was there for 25 minutes, to use his own eyes to see, like she said, this the drink and the food and to think, hmm, is this a party? And he concluded no, or he concluded hmm, nothing to it's see It's a here. work event. So with the there's, DJ, there's no good. There's no good outcome for this because if that's what he truly believed, then that's just screaming incompetence. Well, yeah, but and our prime minister has extremely poor judgment, and which is which is which is worrying. So it's yeah. either he's got, it's either he's incompetent or has extremely poor judgment, or he's just a straight liar. So neither outcome is good. Well, any of those, and all it's probably any and all. If we're being honest, all of those things encapsulate Boris Johnson. I'm sure some of his supporters would say he was very, very tired and that's why he may have missed what he may have otherwise not missed. Oh, yes. Being yes, tired stops you from being able to tell whether a party is a party. That's a third option, I guess, mm. maybe. for some. I wonder how many people were able to use the excuse that they were tired when they were hauled into court for their £10,000 uh, parties, £10,000 fines for lockdown-breaking parties. And this is the question. So this seems to be... Uh, Keeping him, keeping him up at night, and keeping keeping everybody asking the same questions. Yes, he's looking rather tired minutes. and uh, sufficiently um, beaten down. I will say. One last thing about that interview: 
I I don't think that man has recovered from COVID because he's breathing he well. heavily. He's breathing heavily. If you listen carefully to that interview, he's breathing heavily. Like, but he stood still answering a couple of questions. Not like he's walking or running. He's breathing heavy. It's nerves. It could be nerves. Could be. I just wonder whether because it said that he had. He's COVID. got two small children. He might be tired. Yeah, he had a, bad, a really bad dose of COVID. He's got two kids under one. Um, plus all of this, I'm not making excuses for him. I'm just saying, yeah, he sounds he sound good. I mean, he hasn't looked good for quite a while. He's looked a bit grey in the face for about the last six months. To be fair, I mean, he always looks grey in the face, actually. So, yeah, well, let's discuss the statue. So moving on to the statue, as you call it. Yes, um, a jury decision in Bristol has decided to acquit the Colston Four, which is four people who were involved in the Black Lives Matter protests and the toppling of the slave trader statue of Edward Colston in June 2022. So they were acquitted. And obviously there has been a large political uh, furore around this decision with obviously a lot of um, right-wing politicians coming out and saying, oh, we need to introduce more legislation so this doesn't happen again. The attorney general saying that, you know, they're talking about bringing in some appeals and then people talking about this setting a precedent, just a reminder that jury decisions do not set precedents because they cannot. Um, and obviously then Pretty Patel wading in with her usual thugs and vandals line that she's always talking about. And I just think, you know, um, it's important. Once again, this is a jury. This is, was a jury trial. Two, this, if we're being honest, this case should never have been brought in the first place. The statue's been um, dug out of the river. It's been put in a museum. It could have been left there. The issue could have been resolved. The, the, the main issue has been people saying, well, it's an offence against their senses to have a veneration of a slave traitor in the middle of a, a, the second largest multicultural city outside of London or one of the second largest multicultural cities outside of London. So that has been the argument. And there has been a longstanding campaign by campaigners, not just about the statue, but about, about a lot of the different Colston venerations around Bristol City. And they've been slowly but surely removing them. So this didn't need to get to where it has gotten to in the first place, but there has been, on the one hand, a lot of backlash. And it's, I think really is is people's just attempts to continue to stoke the culture war, and honestly to maintain relevance, because why are we talking about this? They've been acquitted, which was the correct decision if we're being honest, let's move on. No, you're talking about bringing in new legislation. You're talking about getting involved in um, the legal, in getting involved and disturbing the um, legal process in order to get the result that you want. And then now all of a sudden the party of law and order is suddenly against law and order and is talking about involving themselves in judicial and jury decisions and how in deciding that maybe juries are not the correct way to meet out justice in certain cases. It's very, it's very interesting to suddenly see these, these sort of people coming out against um, the legal system in this sense, well, or the criminal legal system as well. That's it, isn't it? There was a, so there was a piece in the sun. Of course it was the sun. I mean, it's either gonna be the sun or the Daily Express. And then if it's in the Telegraph, it'll be the same article, but just worded slightly more intelligently. Anyway, there was a, a piece in the Sun 
after statue acquittals, jury must end, sorry, judges must end jury, quote, wokeness, unquote. To which, to which somebody uh, responded, the elites who like to claim they speak for, quote, the people against the elites, inevitably want the elite to overrule, quote, the people, unquote, when the people don't do what they're supposed to. Classic populist nonsense. I mean, I'm not entirely <laughs> totally against populism. However, yes, the contradiction there that the people who often are championing the people against the elite, suddenly when the jury, which is made up of the people, does something that they don't like, they want to invoke the elite to quash the people. Make it make this sense. This idea of, well, it doesn't make sense, this idea of woke juries. What is a woke jury? What does that even mean? We have no idea about the jury's, um, members of the jury's political affiliations. They would have been, there would have been um, a wide range of people that would have been selected for jury process. There would have been an, a few people, they would have gone through it. They would have checked their suitability both the people the people who are bringing the case and the, their defense so i don't understand this idea of deciding that the jury is woke they heard the arguments and the worst thing is that none of these um defendants said that they were not guilty they they i mean they pled not guilty but none of them said that they didn't do it they said yes i did it and i believe one of them said yeah and i will do it again so this there's not sort of there's no sort of um gray area about what happened. People knew what happened. The jury members knew what happened. They argued their cases and the jury decided that in this case, they didn't say that they didn't commit the crime. They just, that they should be acquitted of the crime and that they shouldn't be going to jail, which is correct. Yeah, it's a weird one because you've got people who are really offended that four random young people didn't go to prison because they threw a statue into the river. Now I get I, I get the public property and ooh it's it's leading us into barbarism. There's, but there's no but there's no there's very few situations where destruction of, of destu destruction of public property should send you to jail anyway. Yeah, so I I'm, don't believe that's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah I'm just saying I, I get where where those people are coming from in that sense. I mean I don't agree that. Do you, you explain why? Well, let to me finish. Go on. <laughs> I don't, I'm not saying I agree with um, that the statue should be there. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying I just on a, on a, on an intellectual level, I understand their reasoning. However, I don't understand them then going so far. I don't understand the strength of the, of the, of the will to be so ag aghast and disappointed that these people didn't go to prison because they threw a statue of our beloved slave trader into the and this is the thing it's like oh first they'll come for this and then they'll come for the senator what's the correlation exactly yeah one is um you know remembering dead soldiers most of them young most of them young working class boys who signed up for a war that they didn't know was going to be essentially a massacre the other is a statue that was raised a hundred years after a slave trader had died to celebrate somebody who systematically um, enslaved people, took them away from their homes and engaged in sort of a mass genocide of a people. What are you talking about? What's the correlation between the two? You couldn't knock down the cenotaph if you tried. Yeah, no, as I said, it's really, it's really creepy that people associate so strongly, at least by implication, with a guy who was in charge of a company whose literal focus was the trade in, quote, goods from West Africa to the Caribbean and America, the Americas. Like, why are you, why are people so comfortable 
associating themselves with that person. As I said, I get the general public property argument, but what I don't get is how much people want to associate themselves with a figure like that. It's because it's, it's, I think it's you know it's when you talk about when it's, you're so entrenched in your in even your political ideas of your identity of I'm this I'm anti woke so your anti wokeness extends to oh well they try I believe in um, I believe in statues because they believe they don't believe in statues and the idea is that well if you believe in that and that's the woke idea then I can't believe in that they're because realistically what you're actually by definition what, yeah you're anti-work by definition that means you have to take up it was like there's you know we saw recently that guy that was um chipping away at the statue out, outside the BBC of the um sculpt was well, not of the sculptor but by the sculptor who was um Andrew Gill I believe his name was yeah it was a uh, yeah who was turned a, out to be is, a, a pedophile not turned out is a known pedophile known paedophile and bestialist who um, engaged in the sexual assault and rape of his ch- children and sisters. Mm. And the statue was of an, um, an, an adult man or with a naked child. Mm. And there were people who were saying, oh, you should, what are you doing? You know, they're coming for our statues. And it's kind of like, you know, you try, try, the idea of trying to erase history. Yeah. It's like, no, this is part of history. The hi- there's a history of putting up this statue. And then there's a history of, in modern times, saying this is no longer within, um, in line with modern sensibilities. Let's get rid of it. Yeah. The same way that you can go around um, and see places where they've hacked off the willies of statues because it was against their sensibilities of those times. It's all part of the progression of history. You're arguing to be pro the statue of a naked child outside of the British Broadcasting Corporation. Honestly, why have you got anything by this guy? Mm. Or what, you know, realistically, the other option is putting a giant black outside the entrance that says, by the way, the statue up there is done by a known rapist, abuser and paedophile. Does this, the BBC want to have that giant plaque outside their entrance? I probably, I don't think that they do. Yeah. But, it's, and you it's as a person are arguing against this. You probably don't even know who this guy is. But when, but and probably, I think a lot of people didn't know, but when you do know, it's kind of like, why have you got a statue by this person of a naked child outside your business? Why? Is there a statue of Andrew Colston that was put up a hundred years? It's not erasing history. It was a resurgence. It's the same now. Like now, it was a resurgence of that idea of being, you know, the the um, contraction of the the, the reactionary movements because of of wokeness and civil liberties and the recognizing of black people as a people. The response to that was erecting statues of slave traders, and the response to, to wokeness is anti-wokeness, and this is why we end up in these situations. It's the same cycle over and over again. Yeah, it's uh, it's people again. It's like I think it's like you said. It's it might not even be for going from what you're saying, and I agree. It's not necessarily that people consciously want to identify themselves with this person, but they're so committed to being on one side of the so-called culture wars that no matter what they will defend their position whether it's defensible or not to their last dying breath this week the police crime courts and sentencing bill the the bill which was the subject of the kill the bill protests i was going to say last year but they've continued into this year so that bill last week yeah even last week so it has we did reference this before Christmas uh, when it went through the House of Commons. It went through all of its stages in the House of Commons. It's now gone through all of its stages in the House of Lords and the House of... So what the reason it's made news this week is that the uh, the peers in the House of Lords voted down uh, quite a few amendments that were proposed by the government. 
and they also introduced a lot of amendments which the government were against however the mm -hmm. government lost those votes in the house of lords so it now goes to sort of the final stages where there's a bit of back and forth now between the commons and the lords because it's been through both houses uh, and following that there'll be a final version of the bill uh, and then it will be be voted voted through so uh, we're going to just discuss some of the issues as i said that's happened in the past few days amendments that have been that have been passed in the lords so on monday peers also backed a labor proposal that would require police officers to tell the truth mm -hmm. during public inquiries and criminal investigations there was not uh, a requirement for them to tell the truth prior to this point scary Another amendment was a backbench Tory amendment that would class misogyny as a hate crime that was also approved. Uh, peers also voted against measures which would make it illegal for protesters to lock themselves to things and to give police officers powers to stop and search people in an attempt to prevent them taking part in illegal protests. So just a mm -hmm. quick note on that. Uh, they, there, was a, there was a measure in the bill that would allow police officers to stop and search people without suspicion at certain mm -hmm. protests. At pro well, at protests, and so the Lords um, they they rejected that part of the bill. They voted they voted down voted against that. Um, and yeah, just also last the ones on there was one um, they defeated the amendment with regards to the restrictions on protests based on noise grounds, which was ridiculous. So that's a really good one. Yes, that was um, the, that was the last one I was just going to mention. Um, yeah. On on the noise, so the Green peer Baroness Jones described the government's plans as oppressive and nasty. She said, how do you seriously think a protest is going to happen without noise? So that was another one. That's the whole point, though, isn't it? Like we're, again, we're described, we're acting like um, this is um, a byproduct when it's actually the function. The function is to stop protest. So that's why they don't want noise, because the function of this bill is to outlaw protests in basically in all senses. I believe they also struck down the amendment which would make it illegal to protest in the green outside parliament which has been has a long a very long british history for the past hundreds of years so again i mean why is the conservative party even sponsoring any sort of bill which supposedly the party that's about liberty freedom of speech you know freedom to not wear your mask freedom of choice and yet here we are one of the most oppressive um bills with regards to policing and protest that we've seen in a hundred years yeah i think why? it speaks to a it speaks to different parts of the Conservative Party, doesn't it? Because yes, you're right. A lot of people associate conservatism and well, well, not so much. Well, a lot of people associate the Conservative Party with, like you said, liberty, freedom, freedom of speech, freedom of thought, independence, all of that. But then there's also this other very authoritarian stream that also runs in parallel through the, yeah. through the Conservative Party, not just not just in the present day, but in the past too. So it's an interesting one because you've got these two, at times, very different approaches to, to, to life and policy and, and the public space as well, which run through the through the party. And I think as well, it's like, I think, and Yvette Cooper actually said this, that this bill, which is what it was touted at, at the beginning was it should have been an opportunity to tackle violence against women and improve support for victims of crime which is what, um, when it was first um, floated um, after Sarah Everard was murdered, this is, I think, was what was talked about. This is what Priti Patel talked about. There is absolutely zero provision in this bill with regards to the safety of women. 
you know, making misogyny a hate, a hate crime does not protect women in any sense of the word whatsoever. Like, that doesn't affect behaviour. It doesn't specifically tackle with the way that, you know, sexual assault and, and rape cases are dealt with. It does not tackle um, how often rape cases are failed to be prosecuted. It doesn't tackle any sort of evidence retention, collection, how evidence is um, um, collected, the ways in which people are um, interviewed with regards to sex crimes. None of it, nothing. It doesn't increase any funding to women's shelters or domestic violence shelters. It doesn't increase funding to any um, charities or resources that will help women who are victims of specifically um, women-based crimes, not specifically, but you know, which have large, um, larger numbers of women as their victims, nothing whatsoever. All of it is about oppressing free speech, oppressing process, oppressing political speech by individuals because protest is political speech. That's what this bill is about. And the Labour Party, prior to the Kill the Bill protest, was very had no intention of voting against this bill. It had intended to abstain. It's only obviously through large public pushback and the events that happened at the um, vigil at Clapham Common is when the Labour Party even started to make any sort of effort in speaking out openly, obviously outside from the usual left-wing MPs, made any sort of effort in speaking out against this bill. The Justice Minister, uh, David Lam, well, he's former secretary now, but at the time he was Justice Minister. Didn't Shadow. say anything about it. Shadow, you know what I mean. Didn't make, it barely crossed his lips. Again, he was spending all his time talking about being English. Still is. <laughs> Do your job. You really need to let that go. Uncle I won't. Allowed to There's call himself serious English. things happening on the foreign front, on in his brief or in his shadow brief that are going on at the moment that he's not talking about. He's spending all of his time doing culture war nonsense, talking about being English. Why are you not talking about things that are happening abroad that are important as foreign secretary? Why are you not talking about Nazanin Rag um, Zagahari Ratcliffe, whose husband was on hunger strike outside parliament for 70 plus days? You're not talking about that. You're talking about being English. There's things going on. Do your job. Gets on my nerves. <laughs> Sorry. It's just so irritating. Con con there's things going on that matter to working class people, that ma matter to people of ethnic minorities, that matter to people who are engaged in politics and are engaged in the um, very authoritarian bills that are coming through this parliament. And the Labour Party is not pulling its finger out, it's spending its time oppressing its members, oppressing left, um, its left wing members specifically, um, um, talk, consistently caught up in infighting and, you know, trying to be, you know, the space for Tory voters and being a space for blue, um, for blue Labour when it should be talking about and bucking up the government where it, when it's um, bringing out all these authoritarian policies. No, Keir's just being an Azel in PMQs every week. I find it, again, going back to the point I was making before, um, I find it interesting that you've got Priti Patel, who is obviously very hardline when it comes to um, freedom, <laughs> really. Um, and then you've got Boris Johnson, so who has at least has, a, has had a reputation of being this great libertarian. He's the prime minister, but he appointed as somebody as his home secretary, somebody... Uh, like Priti Patel, who ostensibly is is the complete opposite of him when it comes to things like this, issues exactly like this, which are front and centre of what the Home Secretary um, is in charge of. Yeah, he's he has a and he has an authoritarian he, front somebody, bench. Why would he appoint somebody in that position that we're as we're led to believe 
essentially he, this this idea that he's this great libertarian of low tax and freedom he is not nothing about the legislation that they've been bringing in nothing about the, the way that they've been they've handled the pandemic with regards to even how they encourage people to get vaccinated nothing about it has been libertarian at all it's been very much authoritarian you know they're they're not doing the carrot they're doing the stick consistently and we're also about to um our national insurance is about to be the highest it's ever been since world war ii this is the party of low tax and um small government well the, well, uh, the party that wants to ban noise in protests so for across the pond this week we are going over to uganda where after a long period they have finally um made sex, edu sex education legal in schools. So in 2016, um, all forms of sex education were banned. And um, in November, the, a court lifted the ban because the ban was uh, decided in parliament and they've given the education ministry the opportunity to start writing the new policy on how it will teach children about sex. Um, Uganda has been ravaged by the AIDS the AIDS, the AIDS and HIV crisis with 15% of, um, and 15% of young girls are married by the age of 15 and around half have um, been married by the age of 18. Um, and something like 17% of, 70% of teenagers, well, young girl teenagers were pregnant as of March, um, 2020. And yet a lot of young people do not have any understanding of sex of safe sex, of sexual um, contraception, how to manage pregnancy. Um, and also it's often been where young girls have been um, sexually abused or assaulted. They do not necessarily have the language to even be able to explain what has happened to them. And I believe it was recently a case of a nine-year-old girl victim who testified that a man slept on her because she did not have the language to be able to explain what had happened. So uh, a court has found that it is the government's and specifically the education department's responsibility to ensure that young people have some understanding of sex, even though um, Uganda wants to lead with an abstinence-based education, even though Uganda wants to lead with abstinence as the basis of sex education for young unmarried people, they have a responsibility to um, engage and encourage young people to have any understanding of their bodies and sex. A one government minister has said that this is going to lead to a rise of masturbation and homosexuality, which in and of itself what? is crazy that they think that that is a bad thing. Yes. There's no, there isn't a correlation. But so as it stands, officials are now drafting a new policy and hopefully there will be something, some sort of framework out by the end of this year. But I just thought that this was a somewhat feel good story because too often, specific, especially young girls, are the victims of failures of sexual education policy where they end up pregnant or in situations where they're catching um, diseases often from their partners and young girls who are being forced into marriage or just engaging in marriage from a young age do not have the correct tools to be able to look after themselves, protect themselves or any children that they have. So I thought this was uh, something slightly upbeat rather than consistently talking about, you know, stolen elections and political strife and protests and drama. I thought this was a good thing and it was a very nice but feel good um, moment for us to end on this week. Mm. So how is it sort of, what's the sort of public mood in Uganda about 
about this? It's half and half because it's a, a religious, it is quite a religious country and um, both Muslim and Christian um, sections, both of government and the public are obviously against and they believe that it should um, be God-based and based only around abstinence and they should so only be So they're talking. not against teaching in schools they just want the teaching a specific way or they're against the teaching there's no the the teaching should be that it should be god-fearing and the main principle should be about god and not having any sex okay and the only and like the mention of sex should be don't have sex right okay and the the first the first um policy that was put out a coalition of religious leaders anything that they could agree on is that it was not conservative enough and that they should reject it altogether so there's uh, still a way to go with finding something that people can all agree on, but hopefully they will get somewhere where it's an understanding of sexually transmitted diseases, how um, sexually transmitted diseases are um, passed over and you can catch them if you're a virgin and you can catch them if you wash every day and all the rest of it, right. as well as being able to explain, you know, yeah, the ins and outs. Information like that would be helpful for the youth. Especially, like you said, with you're, the high you're coming, you're prevalent. speaking of common sense about people who have no, like they're not leading from a space of common sense. It's not about what's right and what's wrong and what we know to be true and what we know not to be true. It's about if you talk about sex and people will have sex, which we know for a fact is not true. Not talking about sex does not, does not bring teen pregnancy cases any lower. In this mm-hmm. country, what battled, um, what brought teen pregnancy um, numbers down was giving out free condoms and t- talking to children about sex. Very simple still is this is the framework is exactly the same and has been for years it's just getting people to accept that the, the existence of sex and talking about sex with young people is not inherently bad sex in and of itself is not inherently bad but until we get there you know anyway good evening folks that's all from us at not being pod thanks for listening follow us on twitter and instagram at not pod And if you're listening on iTunes and you enjoyed what you heard, rate us five stars. It helps us get up the rankings. If you didn't enjoy it, ignore everything I just said. 